Hey, welcome to night school. You know, I said something a little while back, which was uh, every time someone gets on Tinder, they're saying a little prayer. They don't think of it that way. They think, oh, I'm using technology to try to find a, a date or a mate. A date or a mate. It's the name of my app. Download my app. It's called Dater Mate. Dater Mate. No, but when someone gets on Tinder, they're saying a little prayer. They're saying like, God, I hope I find somebody today. And I hope they find me. Because it's mutual. Mutual. But, uh, you know, that's what someone's thinking. They're not necessarily thinking in those terms. They're not actually saying a prayer. I mean, somebody probably does. There's somebody who says a, a little Tinder prayer. But that's what you're doing. By using that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying a little Tinder prayer. It's just good to recognize that. It's good to recognize that's what you're doing when you get on there. You're wishing, you're hoping, you're praying for somebody. And they might be doing the same. But you might not be what they're praying for. (laughs) They're not praying for you, it turns out. So you're praying not just to find somebody that you like, but you're praying that somebody likes you and that those two meet in the middle. The same person you like likes you. And then uh, you hope that beyond just matching, that something will come of that, that the first date will go well, that the... I mean, there's a lot of prayer involved. It's like, I hope she responds to my message. I hope that she keeps messaging me. I hope she wants to talk on the phone. I hope she wants to meet up. You know, there's a whole lot of prayer. There's prayer at every step. Every step of the way, there's a little prayer. Saying a little Tinder prayer. But no, I'm I'm fine with that. I, I haven't met anybody. I mean, I've only ever met one person on Tinder, actually. And that was in 2014. I mean, I haven't been on any of these things in many years. Yeah, the only person I met on Tinder, or as I call it, Tendril, but the only person I ever met on Tinder, it turned out she lived a, like two blocks away, and she started messaging me saying she was about to leave the country to go stay at a celebrity's castle to help her friend who was dating this celebrity. And then when I asked her who the... Well, I, I thought she was insane. I mean, I was I started I got this like series of messages about how she, you know, yeah, was didn't know when she was going to leave, but she was going to be leaving town soon to go stay in a celebrity's castle in Europe to take care of her friend who was dating this celebrity. And I was like, okay, so I matched with a girl who's out of her mind, delusional. And then I, I asked who the celebrity was, and she said Crispin Glover. And I go, oh, she's not crazy. <laughs> I, I thought, you know what? That has a ring of truth to it. Now we're getting somewhere. And so we met up. There was a park pretty much exactly between our houses. And I'm not exaggerating. About two blocks away from each other. Just a very short walk away. And so we met up in this park. We met up on the seesaw at this park at night and hung out. And... uh you know, she ended up going to, to Prague to stay in Crispin Glover's castle. And that's her story to tell. And she has quite a story related to that. But yeah, her friend was a girl. The girl was a model and an artist. And, you know, one of those people who just has... just She's passed away since then, the, her friend. But one of those people who just has a beautifully tragic life. And her friend was dating Crispin Glover and pretty much locked away. I mean, it was like a fairy tale. She was pretty much locked up in this castle and she had had some addiction issues and things, I guess. And so uh, he was trying to keep her away from that. So he basically had her locked up in this, a very real castle. And she was doing art, but very isolated. And I, I guess, you know, I mean, again, it's not my story to tell, but from what I gather, the girl wasn't able to really contact people herself so Crispin was making all these arrangements, and he arranged to bring out my neighbor, now my friend. Uh, he, he arranged to bring her out to basically babysit this girl while he was filming a movie of his. And so that that's my only Tinder experience. Is, uh, Tinder allow, 
allowed me to meet my neighbor <laughs> who was about to fly out to Prague to stay at, at Crispin Glover's castle. And we kind of had a long distance relationship while she was there. And it didn't work out when she got back. But uh, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a long distance relationship with somebody who was staying in Crispin Glover's castle while he wasn't there. And so I was getting all these photos getting all these updates. They had limited internet access, so I would get these periodic updates. They would sneak out of the castle. Again, not my story to tell, and it's a very interesting story that my friend will hopefully eventually put somewhere, because I know she wants to write about it. Uh, but she uh, she got back. Things didn't work out, you know. And uh, But we remained friends, like, over time. You know, not right away, but we remained friends. And then that's how I have Batty. You know, so Tinder to me, oh, Tinder, you mean the thing where it gives you a long distance relationship for a couple months with somebody who's staying in an eccentric celebrity's castle, and then five years later, you get, you, they give you a dog? That, is that Tinder? That thing where you don't end up with a, a romance, you end up with an interesting story about a, a European castle. I mean, I have, I have, uh, I have cobblestones. Like I, I have a cobblestone, I think from the castle grounds. She brought me back, uh, souvenirs, you might call them objects. And one of them is like this cobblestone from a, a path. And it sure seems like it's a cobblestone from a castle or something. So I, I have, a maybe it's from, maybe it's from another part of the city. I mean, everything's old there. So maybe it's from another part of the town. But either way, it's from that trip. So, you know, I have a little piece of the castle as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, the, the thing where you get uh, a tinder, the thing that gets you uh, a little piece of uh, Crispin Glover's castle and a dog. You have to wait six years and then they, they give you a dog. Because that's the truth, yeah, six years. I mean, that was 2014, I guess, so it's been a while. That thing where you eventually get your first dog, yeah. That's what Tinder is to me. My only experience. It allowed me to meet my neighbor and set forth a series of events that changed my life, actually. You know, didn't didn't spark a romance, a sustainable romance, but certainly gave me a bunch of other things that make me feel wealthy. A wonderful dog, you know, a good friend. It made life significantly more interesting. So, you know, it's magic. You know, I mean, there's something, there's a magic to that. And, you know, while people might be saying a prayer that they want one specific outcome, oh, Lord, please get me a date. Please get me a date or mate. Well, some people might be purely thinking in those terms. I think you can think of those things as, well, what else could this potentially do? But you can't ask for that. Like, if I got on Tinder in 2004, if I got on Tinder in 2014 and said, I sure hope that in 2020, this interaction gives me a dog. I hope that in six years, this interaction gives me a little chihuahua who isn't even born yet. I sure hope that this experience gives me a cobblestone from the castle grounds of Crispin Glover's castle. You know, I, I uh, you can't ask for that. <laughs> you can't ask the genie for that. You can't ask Tinder for that. You just have to accept it, but you accept it, you know, you accept that, you know, life is far more interesting the more open you are. But yeah, Mike, I guess my experience with those things in general, because I was on OkCupid for a little while longer. I met a number of people on OkCupid, most of them just one-offs, almost all of them, just one, maybe two dates, just testing the waters, that sort of situation. But that's what led to me going to South Korea. I wish I, you know, someday I'm going to be lying. Someday, someday my South Korea story, you know, like somebody who tells Vietnam stories and each time they get more ridiculous, each time their story gets, you know, they filled with more and more lies. My version of that is someday I'm going to be telling people I went to North Korea. Someday I'm going to be telling people like, oh yeah, when I, I met a girl on OkCupid and I, I followed her to North Korea, North Korea. I went to South Korea, though, and that was funny because that was just on a total whim. But that was another product of, you know, weird magic. You know, it, it's like, it's why I always say, like, phones, uh, computers, cars, but 
phones and computers are, seem to be one that modern man has a little hesitance. They're hesitant to give those things magical credit. It doesn't matter what word you use. It doesn't matter if it's magic. But people are hesitant to give those things credit as magical devices. Like people will talk about, I mean, people will be like, a magic wand. This stick is magic. <laughs> but the idea of a phone being magic is kind of, oh, that's not cool. It ain't cool to think of a phone as producing magical experiences. But it does, you know, and it, it's, it's, uh, there's an interaction there that goes beyond the device. Because in that case, you know, I was talking to this girl a little bit, and we didn't even hit it off or anything. There, was, there wasn't even any like, real, um, I don't know, we, I, I think we just exchanged a couple messages on OkCupid, which I always found really depressing. I always found OkCupid extremely depressing. Tinder, when I was on there, which was brief, I found very alien and inhuman, like the whole process of, and I mean, I just don't like the idea of presenting yourself that way. It's like one thing, you have to have pictures that make you look good, but then like coming up with a witty thing to say or not saying something witty, you know, just that whole dilemma of what to say, it's just, it's just a pointless dilemma. You know, I like dilemmas, but that one always felt pointless to me of like trying to have something witty, a witty, a witty intro. Just I don't know. I I really didn't enjoy it. I don't I don't have any problem with those things. I have no. I I don't protest those things at all. And people are welcome to use them. I I didn't have a problem with the idea of using them, but the reality, the practical reality of using them, did disturb me. But anyway, there's this girl I talked to, and you know we didn't make any plans. And I remember she deleted her account. Like she sent me a couple messages, and then she deleted her account. And then uh, I think it was like a day or two later, I had to go to Rite Aid, and I was going to go somewhere else. I was I was going to go to uh, another store, and then I was like, eh, you know, I'm going to go to this Rite Aid here. It's convenient. And I went in, and there was a girl there, a pretty girl. And I, I didn't stare at her or anything, but I immediately knew that was her, even though she didn't really look like her pictures, and not in a bad way. You know, some people, they don't look like their pictures in a bad way, but some people just don't look like their pictures uh, for whatever reason, it's just, I mean, you get a different, people's aura, their aura is different, something, I don't know, whatever it is, but I just immediately knew that was her anyway, but I didn't talk to her or anything, and and then uh, that night, like, that girl reactivated her account, and she was like, were you at Rite Aid? And I was like, sure enough, sure enough, no. and then it turned out, like, she wasn't planning on going to Rite Aid either, and uh, I think she she wanted to buy cheap makeup, is what she said. She was like, oh, I decided to go there. I was looking for cheap makeup, and, you know, I decided to check Rite Aid. So it was like we both went to the same Rite Aid on a whim, and it turned out, like, she didn't live, she wasn't my neighbor. Unlike other devices, it didn't connect me with my close neighbor. Uh, she lived farther outside of town, but had come in, you know, just at that exact time, we both went to the exact same place, and then so we ended up hanging out later because of that. But then again, it, it was it, it, there's a, there's a pattern here because she's like, oh, but I'm I might get this teaching job in South Korea in a couple weeks. <laughs> so it's like both the both these women, and, and I don't think I ever. I think this is the only woman I ever met on OK Cupid that I went on more than a couple dates with. I think this is uh, this might be the only one that I actually spent you know, more than, yeah, one or two dates with, but, uh, she, uh, is like, oh, just so you know, like, I, I might get this teaching job in South Korea soon, so I'd be leaving the country indefinitely, and, you know, I'm used to that at this point, <laughs> I'm used to there being some sort of long-distance plan in all this stuff, like, you know, hey, I've already dealt with Crispin Glover's castle in, in Prague, South Korea, sure, uh, so I think we only really went went out for a couple of weeks. We spent a good amount of time together for those two weeks, but we only spent a couple of weeks together. And it wasn't like we were crazy about each other either. I think it was just, I think we were both attracted to each other and that was basically it. But it, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even like it was bestial at all. I don't, I don't know who even knows. I think it was just two lonely people really. But, um, you know, she ended up getting this job in South Korea and then we, we stayed in touch and would like Skype 
at weird hours because, you know, the time difference and all that. And it really wasn't enjoyable at all. Like our communication was not enjoyable for either one of us. Like there really wasn't any personal chemistry, as they call it, magic, as some others might call it. People accept chemistry like they're like, oh, yeah, people have chemistry together. Meanwhile, you say magic and it sounds like, oh, it's ridiculous. What's what's magic? The phantom in my voice is talking. There's actually a button on my mixer that says phantom. I don't know how it works. I don't know what it does. It's red. It's the only button on the entire mixer. It's kind of a maroon, a maroon phantom. It's that maroon phantom in my brain. If I press the phantom button, the phantom either shuts up or it starts talking. And right now it's talking. Yeah, but anyway, so she wanted me to come visit her in South Korea, though, and I was like, you know what? And there were a number of other, there was a lot of other synchronicity going on related to this, and she wasn't into any of that stuff. You know, she was not interested in anything, as far as I know, anything that transcended, you know, the day-to-day experience. And I don't mean that in an insulting way, because she was smart and everything, Um I mean, a lot of smart people aren't into that stuff. So we never even talked about that stuff. But she did. But the thing is with people is they do notice when something weird happens. Like she thought that it was really strange that we were both in Rite Aid at the same time, right after she deleted her account, you know, and and she reactivated her account to talk to me, to ask me if I was the guy in Rite Aid, you know. So she understood that that was weird. She understood that that seemed a little, you know, I think that's actually probably what made her invest at all in the situation, you know, because those things do feel like a sign or a signal, but not that you found your true love. I think that's where people get mixed up. Some people have those sorts of experiences and they're like, oh, this means, this means paradise forever. No more bad days. And it's like, sometimes those experiences mean you're going to go down a necessary path. Synchronicity isn't a sign that, oh, these fireworks mean that the, the war is over. I think synchronicity often means, hey, head in this direction, but it's not going to be a smooth ride necessarily. Sometimes it is, but it's not necessarily going to be a smooth ride, but keep going in this direction anyway. And uh, that was very much what that experience was, where I did go to South Korea. It wasn't very fun. We didn't get along. There were problems. I'm not going to... I've talked about it before, I'm sure, so I'm not going to belabor it, but... uh, you know, we didn't get along. Uh, it was it was interesting, too, because it was insane. I mean, what I did was insane because I, I talked to people before I left. And even one of my good friends was like, "You're so you're going to halfway across the world for love. And I'm like, no, you know, that's not really what's going on. Like, we're not in love. Like, yeah, we dated for a couple of weeks. I, I didn't even say any of this. I just kind of kept it to myself. But in my mind, it wasn't like I was delusional about the situation. Like, we would Skype, but it was just like we didn't even really have anything to talk about. And, uh, you know, she worked 12-hour days teaching, and I was gonna, I was going there in February. I was going there, I mean, about this time of year, and uh, it was completely frozen over there. Because, I mean, I, I had no concept of South Korea, a completely frozen place. I mean, it was the coldest place I've ever been. No snow either. It was a dry ice over everything, basically. And you could barely walk. The roads were... uh, You had to walk arm-in-arm with people just to maintain balance because the pathways were so slick with ice. Layers and layers of ice. You know, it doesn't go anywhere. It's so cold there that the ice just never disappears, never goes anywhere. You're basically on a skating rink. And my understanding is that's just how the winter is there. Maybe in certain parts, I don't know. I was about an hour outside of Seoul. And nobody spoke English in the town I was in. Very few people. So communication was extremely limited. But I wasn't looking for, you know, a typical tourist experience. You know, while it would have been interesting to be there in nice weather, it was kind of nice to be there in a situation where I was extremely limited. It was extremely internal. Because the thing, too, is I was there for, I guess, close to two weeks. I don't remember the exact amount of time, but... Uh, She worked 12-hour days most of the week, and she lived in this little single-room apartment. So I would just wake up after her. She had to wake up early and go to work. So I would wake up after her. I would just kind of hang around, 
there were issues too, like the I think like the water heater wasn't working, so the water was cold most of the time. There were some issues with the heater in general, so it was this cold little apartment with cold water. And uh, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't into meditation or anything like that then. And I'd made this I'd made this electronic music before I left. The only time I've ever made what would, what could be called like electronica. And uh, it was kind of this pagan electronic music. And so I would listen to that. I would listen back to the songs I'd been making over the, the previous couple of months. And I, I would listen to those. And that uh, that fit oddly with the whole Korean experience. This, you know, extremely dry, frozen atmosphere. Very sterile. Everything, see, everything was very clean. Beautiful. I mean, I found the place beautiful, honestly. Uh, but, you know, the buildings and stuff, you had these apartments and even though the town I was in the city I was in it wasn't a major city it was still very developed it still had like tall buildings it still had kind of a futuristic feeling at least to me and I mean you you get that feeling in the markets you know because you go to Asia and you have that sort of cyberpunk Blade Runner feel with the signs in the populated areas so you walk down an area where there's stores and everything and it all kind of looks futuristic even the stuff that's not cutting edge, it just has that look. That's just how, the, I mean, cyberpunk modeled itself after contemporary, you know, Asian um, commercialism, basically. Uh, so it's not like, you know, I mean, that's been around. So even in places that weren't super modern, you still had that kind of aesthetic in places. And everything was interesting to look at. I mean, when you're in a place like that where it's just totally foreign, everything is interesting to look at. But then there's... The thing about South Korea is it's very, uh, at times it almost felt like a parody of America because you'd go to these shopping centers, these markets, and there was a place where there was, there were two outback steakhouses on the same block. I'm not even kidding. And people were lined up. People were lined up outside of outback steakhouse waiting to go in. And there were Dunkin' Donuts everywhere. And it was like some sort of Twilight Zone. Like there's a Twilight Zone episode where the guy, the bookworm, you know, he wants the everybody in the world to disappear so he can just be left alone with his books. But then his glasses break so he can't re- he can't read. It was kind of like that in South Korea in the sense that there were Seven Elevens on every block. There was a Seven Eleven everywhere. Everywhere you looked, you, there was a Seven Eleven. But none of them sold Slurpees. They don't drink Slurpees there. They don't drink Slurpees in in Korea. So it was kind of like a weird twilight zone. We're like, what's the appeal of 7-Eleven? Like, what, what makes 7-Eleven unique? Slurpees. And what's, what's really strange is I live in Olympia, Washington, and there's not a single 7-Eleven in, in Olympia proper that I know of. Every single one. I mean, there's some that are very close. There's neighboring towns that have 7-Elevens right on the border between Olympia and the next town. But for whatever reason, there's no 7-Eleven in Olympia proper that I'm aware of. And when I moved here, I was very aware of that because I still drank Slurpees then. It's been many years since I've had a Slurpee. But when I moved to Olympia, I was like, this is really... Because, I mean, I grew up in a town that had six 7-Elevens in a mile radius. They were everywhere. It was like South Korea. I grew up in a town just like South Korea. There were so many 7-Elevens. Uh, but it was it was funny. It was like a Twilight Zone episode. It's like all the 7-Elevens you could ever want, but not a single Slurpee to be found. And that reminds me, just real quick, uh, when I was growing up, some friends and I were out basically joyriding, driving around town, and we had gone to a 7-Eleven to get Slurpees, but the Coke flavor was out. You know, the Coke, the Coca-Cola Slurpee flavor was out of commission, and so, like I said, I, my hometown had like six 7-Elevens within a mile of each other, so we went to another one. But what was really funny is when we left the first 7-Eleven, with the out-of-commission Coca-Cola Slurpee machine, a cop was walking in, and we didn't know what he was doing. It was just a cop, and uh, just a cop. And then we went to another 7-Eleven to get our Coca-Cola Slurpees, which was working, and we got our Slurpees. And then as we were leaving, we were driving away, and we saw that cop pulling in, and we saw him getting a Slurpee. So he did the same thing we were doing. I think we were probably stoned. But it turns out the cop had the same agenda. He was looking for a Coke Slurpee too. 
and he went to the same exact 7-Elevens that we did. We're just like the cops. <laughs> the cops are just like us. It's true, though. But yeah, with South Korea, like it, it did feel like a parody of America at times because they love America. And so some of the commercialism, things like that. But it was to the point where it was weird. It was almost like somebody tried to build a, a city in Sim City or something like that and like built two things cl- too close to each other because it's just a person throwing shit on a, a grid. That's how it felt when I saw the two Outback Steakhouses so close to each other. And, you know, and I'm not even kidding. There was another one about two blocks away. And this was a highly concentrated, like, shopping area, market area. But I was just like, man, like, two Outback Steakhouses on the same block, and then a third one a couple blocks away. And you saw that kind of thing all the time. You know, you saw, like, a lot of different... There was a TGI Fridays in a mall, and the line was out the door. So they loved these American restaurants, and I didn't go to any. You know, I didn't go to any of these American restaurants. But I also didn't really, you know, investigate the, the local food either. Uh, they reached a point where I was on my own and just decided that things weren't, weren't working out and I needed to spend the last few days by myself, which ended up being great. I mean, it was, it was depressing in a way because things didn't go well. But it also forced me to really find, you know, the adventure and make use of the time. And it was very limited, too. I mean, when you're in a place that's that frozen and that cold, the amount of things you can do are very limited. But I wouldn't have changed it. You know, I think that was the time for me to go. And just to the electronic music that I had made before I left, I was listening to that usually in the mornings. Not like not obsessively, but I would just kind of I was listening back to it a little bit. And uh, that was the perfect soundtrack, too. And then I climbed a mountain as well in dress shoes, which was uh, a, a beautiful experience. And I'm, I'm not talking about Mount uh, Everest or something, but it was they have a bunch of small mountains there. And there was a mountain near the city I was staying in, a bunch of mountains actually. But there was one mountain where you could access it from the outskirts of the city. And I mean, I, I didn't bring mountain climbing clothes, especially climbing in the ice. And so one day I just asked around, I asked some of the girls' co-workers who were Americans, I was just like, is there a place I can hike? Is there, is there some place I can go? They're like, oh yeah, there's a mountain over here. And so the one morning I woke up and I was like, my goal today is to climb that mountain. And so I went there. And like I said, I don't mean to exaggerate this mountain. I'm not saying I'm climbing the steepest incline in the world, but uh, it was a mountain. That's, it's not, it wasn't a hill. It wasn't a mound of dirt. It was an icy mountain. And so I climbed that, you know, and and it was, you know, it was pretty well made. Like there were points where there are stairs. Uh, There was one point, though, where there was just a chain nailed, or I don't know how it was fastened, but it was a chain fastened to the side of a rock, an icy rock. Everything was icy. And you had to, like, grab the chain and put your feet against the vertical rock wall, and I'm trying to think, it, not re, not repel, but kind of that same sort of motion, like basically pull yourself, use your weight to inch your feet along. So, I mean, there was some stuff there that, you know, it wasn't easy, and it was very steep the entire way. And when I started hiking the mountain, there was an old man, and of course, because he's an old Korean man, he was in great shape. And he was coming down the mountain. He's probably been walking that mountain every day for his entire life. He was walking down the mountain with his hands behind his back. And he looked at me and he started gesturing to my shoes and laughing and shaking his head. And he didn't speak any English. And he was clearly telling me, like, you're not going to be able to do this in dress shoes, kid. He was clearly, and he was making fun of me, like, for thinking that I could. And, of course, that made me even more determined and I, when I say dress shoes, it's not like I was in like the finest leather dress shoes. I was just, I was in these leather shoes I had bought for like a work function. They, but they didn't have tread, you know. They were they were more dress shoes than they were anything else. I'll say that. So let's just call them dress shoes. They were like le- nice leather shoes that you would wear with a suit. I guess that's a dress shoe, right? Um. Uh, but uh. Now, that reminds me, too. In high school, somebody lit a poster on fire, and the fire alarm got pulled. 
there was a poster on the wall and so somebody lit it on fire and later we had a, a Vietnamese janitor and we ran into him my friends and I ran into him and we asked him we're like what was up with the fire earlier did somebody light a poster on fire and he didn't speak very good English and he looked at us and he was like poster no it was one of those pieces of paper that hangs on the wall he said it in broken English but that was just so funny to me at the time a poster no it was it was a uh, it was a piece of paper that hangs on the wall very funny yeah no he's right uh, you just didn't know the word for poster. That's how I feel like explaining dress shoes. It's like dress shoes. Uh, well, they were nice leather shoes you would wear with a suit. A piece of paper you hang on the wall. But no, but that old man mocking me, that just made me more determined. And just because this is Korea, like about halfway up the mountain, there was this area that had been kind of flattened. And they had all this like steel exercise equipment. Not like weights, but body weight sort of stuff. There was this weird sort of like steel bicycle thing, like something to pump your feet. And so they were just, it's like you're already climbing a mountain and they have a little exercise area, you know, off to the side where you can get even more exercise because climbing the mountain isn't enough. No, it's awesome though. I wish there was more of that here. Like there's Muscle Beach. If you've, if you've ever been to Venice Beach, there's Muscle Beach where they have you know, guys working out near the beach, but uh, this is Muscle Mountain, body weight mountain. But yeah, you could do like pull-ups. There's just, I didn't do any of that. And I wasn't as into fitness as I am now. I wasn't into fitness at all, really, except for walking at the time, hiking. But I was just like, yeah, this this is Korea in a nutshell. It's like there's an old man walking down from the mountain and you climb, he, he was probably up there. The old man was probably up there using this steel workout equipment in the middle of the mountain. Uh, but uh, I made it to the top. It was there were times where it was difficult. There were a couple times where I kind of like looked over and I was like, "Yeah, that's pretty steep." I mean, I understand why the old man cautioned me and mocked me, and I enjoyed being mocked. And I made it to the top, and it was beautiful. I mean, you you see the city from very high up, and it looks very alien. The whole the whole visual, just seeing all the buildings from that high up, being up above the tall buildings, having them look small. There was a flag up at the top. You knew you were at the top because there was a Korean flag fastened up there. Fastened. It's the word of the day. And uh, you know, and it was a great experience. I mean, I'm glad that I can say that I climbed an icy mountain in the Korean winter, wearing dress shoes. I can. Bra- I feel like I can brag about that. It was a, a pretty powerful thing. And of course, like the entire trip to synchronicity was going on. And I didn't have anybody I could report to about it, but synchronicity was going on constantly involving the song uh, Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Because right before I left, I was in a coffee shop here in town and they were blasting that song, Wanted Dead or Alive. And then uh, my friend who I worked with, she gave me a copy of Found Magazine, which is, it was a guy who he would find, as the name implies, he would find things on the street or find things in random places and compile them into a zine. And one of them involved this, like, fat white rapper. And the guy, I think he found either photos of him or his his something. The guy who does the magazine, I think he found photos of this guy and was like, I need to find out more about this guy. Like an early white rapper, too. Like not, I think a little bit before the before the wigger trend, like, kind of hit full bloom. And he interviewed that guy. And so I was reading that interview in the airport. And uh, he's like, what got you into music? Like, what made you start rapping? Like, what made you a music fan? And the guy was like, well, you know, like, through my older brother, I got into the song Wanted Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi, and I memorized all the lyrics. And I'm like, whoa. And then it came up again somehow. I heard it somewhere else. And then there was a night where the girl I was visiting, we met up with these two Americans randomly. Because when you're there and you run into Americans, you're just like, hey, we're going to hang out and drink. A couple Americans, you know, we're going to hang out tonight. Uh, and uh, we went to this private karaoke room where it was just us. 
And it was very difficult for me to find any songs. Like the book was in Korean and the video was confusing because you, you select things on a screen. And so I just randomly opened up a page and I was going to choose something randomly. And the first thing I see is Wanted Dead or Alive. So I sang Wanted Dead or Alive in this private little room in a basement with three other Americans drunk. And uh, it came up again, though. It came up, I think, four times during that trip, Wanted Dead or Alive, including in Korea a couple times. I want to say one, I think I, I heard it maybe in the airport on the way back. There was definitely a fourth time. I just don't really remember exactly. I forgot to update my synchronicity journal about that one. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there were, there were other ones popping off too. It seemed like the whole trip was filled with that. And I had to keep it to myself, of course. I mean, most people... I mean, anybody that I, I was interacting with there wouldn't have cared or understood, I don't think. Uh, but it, it just it confirmed to me that I was meant to go there for sure, through the ups and the downs, and uh, literally ups, climbing mountains, going down, in, and then downs, going down into basements. It's all very literal. And one thing I experienced there, I mean, I guess this just ended up being just me recounting my Korea career experience. But one of the things that... Uh, I experienced there was we tried to go to a bar one night and the owner came up right away. He was very stressed. He seemed very upset and he was like, no American, no American. And he didn't, they didn't allow any Americans in this bar. It was a Korean only bar. And he, you know, discriminated against us. But you know what? I was totally cool with it. The people I was with were upset. Like someone I was with, like, like knocked a bunch of menus off, off a counter but I, I was cool with it. I was like, you know what? This is what it feels like to be barred from going somewhere. I mean, fortunately, nobody's going to hurt me. And, you know, and I, I understood, too, because it was explained to me while I was there that with the military base being there, some of the military guys cause trouble. Some of the American soldiers cause trouble in local bars. They get drunk and they get rowdy and, you know, who knows what. Uh, so I think this was in response to the soldiers. They didn't want Americans there because they had problems with soldiers. So this bar just didn't allow Americans at all. It was discriminatory. You know, I got to know what it feels like to simply just not be allowed in a place because of who I am. I wouldn't want to live a life where that happens to me constantly, but it was good to experience that. And I found it interesting and I respected it in a weird way. You know, I respected that that's that guy's rule. He didn't try to stab me in the eye. He just told me I can't come into his business. And I don't know, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. You know, I'm glad that that's not allowed in America. Um, but I also, I, I understood it too. Because, I mean, I think that's what's missing from conversations about that kind of thing. It's like, you can think it's wrong to do that. You can think it's wrong to discriminate against Americans in a Korean bar. But you also have to understand where that guy's coming from, especially if soldiers have been rowdy there, if soldiers have caused problems, American soldiers, soldiers from another country occupy your land for whatever reason, even though your government allows it, soldiers from another country cause problems in your bar. Why not ban Americans? I don't know. I just You have to understand it even if you don't agree. And I think that's what's missing. A lot of people aren't willing to understand. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I mean, that's online dating to me. Online dating to me means an immediate long-distance relationship involving an extremely strange place, an extremely strange story filled with synchronicity, if somebody asked me, like, oh, what is Tinder? What exactly is Tinder? I was like, well, you say a prayer, and in seven years you get a dog, and you get objects from Prague, including a cobblestone from Crispin Glover's castle. That's what Tinder is. You get that. Everybody gets that. It's like a party favor for using Tinder. And you end up with a chihuahua six years later. Oh, what's okay, Cupid? Well, uh... Okay, Cupid means that you travel to a foreign land and climb a mountain and sing Wanted Dead or Alive and hear Wanted Dead or Alive and read about Wanted Dead or Alive. Everywhere you look, there's Bon Jovi. That's what Okay, Cupid is. These things are magic, though. You know, and that's that's what I mean about, like, 
people think of these things as just this purely like this is a, a way to find romance or love or sex sex you know th- this is a way to find that and it's like yeah that's what people use it for that's why it was designed of course we would design technology that facilitates that but it's like I would much rather trade those experiences for romance. Like I, I would r- much rather have had those experiences than to have had those two romances work out as romances. I mean, in, in, in the first case, in the Tinder case, that's still my very good friend. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I would, I wouldn't trade those experiences because those those were part of the road. You know, those were part of the road uh, that brought me here. And they were cool. They weren't always fun. You know, there's obviously downsides to it, but uh, I enjoyed those experiences. So I see, while I have no, I I can't imagine ever being on an online dating app again. And the last number of people I've met have been, you know, just through old-fashioned means, sort of. Sort of. Um, Met somebody at a party, you know. Uh, some, I met, I met a girl, she emailed me, she was familiar with some stuff I'm involved in and emailed me when she moved to town and we just, we tested the waters and it never went anywhere, but I appreciate that. An email, the original online dating was email. Um, but, uh, you know, you just, you can't look at these things though and necessarily think like, oh, you know, it has to have this outcome. It's like, you really have to look at these things as potential adventures, but you can't force those adventures either. Because, like, when I bought my plane tickets to South Korea, I knew that I was making a mistake in the sense that it wasn't going to work out romantically, but I also knew I had to do it. And was that good? I mean, you know, is she better off for it? I don't know. I have no idea. Is she worse off for it? I have no idea. I felt like it put undue pressure on her, even though she invited me, even though she encouraged me. I definitely put undue pressure on her. She's working 12-hour days teaching. She can't be a tour guide, so she has this guy coming to stay with her. I'm sure that contributed to all the issues, not to not to analyze it, not to psychoanalyze the whole issue, but, uh, you know, so it's, you know, who knows? Who knows what she would have to say? I don't think I did anything wrong, but just uh, it was an adventure that was available, and I, I just felt God told me to do it, guys. You think about it, though, and it's like that's kind of the feeling. It was kind of like, I, I need to do this. I'm meant to do this. Some sort of larger force is compelling me to do this. Um, whatever you want to call that, it is what it is. And I'm not delusional about it. I just felt like I was supposed to do it, even though I knew that I knew that the equation wasn't going to work out in a way that like my friend thought, like, oh, you're going to South Korea for love. And I was like, and even, you know, it wasn't even in the back of my mind. It was in the front of my mind when he said that. I was like, eh, I'm not going to say anything, but I don't think that's why I'm going. I don't think that's why I'm going. But, I mean, the Internet produces all kinds of insane shit, and it's funny to me. Like, that's why people were so scared of it and why they still are. Because uh, it, it can connect. Because, I mean, it, it transcends... I don't know. I mean, I don't need to explain what the internet is. Um, But you can, I mean, I'm in touch with a guy who was a a former high-ranking member of a mafia crime family who turned government witness. He's, I I don't know if I'd call him a friend, but we talk, we email, we message. He has my phone number. Uh, A good friend of mine who's a, a researcher who might be working on some books and I've collaborated with on research, he met these guys. He met this guy in person recently. I woke up a couple of days ago, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names. This guy, he's he's living pretty much out in the open. He's done a bunch of interviews. He's made himself available. He doesn't seem too afraid, but I'm not gonna name his name anyway, even though he's living under an assumed name now. And you might think I'm schizophrenic. You might think I'm crazy. You might think I'm talking to somebody who's lying to me. But no, I've I've seen photos. Uh, I'm in contact with this guy. And my friend, I woke up the other day and to a, a text message from my friend, the researcher, and it was him standing arm in arm with that guy, the, the former high-ranking mafia member, and another guy who was an associate of the same crime family. And those two guys both turned government witness like 20 years ago. 
and they are friends because it turns out those guys, all the rats, they live near each other and they're friends because they want to be around their own people. You know, it's like just because they entered the witness protection program. And I mean, and that's why I'm in contact with this guy is because uh, he's still interested in the subject matter. Like he still, even though he left that life and he's not a criminal anymore, he still wants to talk about it. And his grandfather was a member. And so I've been able to find some information on his grandfather for him. That's kind of been the gist of our conversation. It's not like we're buddies. But my friend, the researcher, a guy I collaborate with and, and talk to all the time, you know, he's a good friend of mine at this point. Um, he actually met up with these guys. He talks to them on the phone all the time. And, and this isn't wannabe stuff. It's like, you know, we're not wannabe gangsters who are like, ooh, a mafia guy. It's cool. Oh, it's so cool to like, you know, I mean, this guy knows we're nerds. But, you know, at this point in his life, he wants to talk to nerds because we know about the subject that he lived. And he's a gentleman. And and we've talked about it where, you know, he's a gentleman, but that actually makes him more scary in some ways. He's so likable. He he is so dignified that that makes him that that's how you it, it's like I was talking about conmen a while back where people had this huge problem with Trumpsfeld because he's not dignified. But it's like you have to be on your toes more if somebody seems really put together and dignified. And this guy, he doesn't seem like he's, he's not manipulative. Like he's not getting anything out of us. You know, he's not scamming anybody. He just genuinely wants to talk about history, mafia history, because that's what we focus on. Uh, my friend wrote a, a really incredible article uh, some year in 2014 that that really just blew the doors wide open on mafia history, just completely changed a lot of people's perspectives. He, he did an incredible job. He and another guy that I'm friends with co-wrote it. And uh, so this guy, you know, he wants to learn more about the history. He wants to talk about the history. He's a guy who comes from multiple generations of these guys going back to Sicily. And so he, he just, he enjoys talking about it, you know, He's, he's, I think he's testing the waters about writing a book, but, you know, he, he's hesitant to do that, too. Uh, but, you know, who knew? You know, it's like, who knew through the Internet? Like, when I got into that subject back in, when I was 18 years old, I just read books, Googled stuff, whatever it was. Little did I know that I would actually be in direct contact with not just a random guy, but a, a very well-known, high-ranking guy, because that's the world we live in. That's And, you know, the reason I'm in touch with him is partially through a mutual friend. But it's still pretty incredible. I sometimes have to tell myself, oh, wow, you know, I'm talking to this guy. Who, his brother got murdered. You know, his, his grandfather and great-grandfather came over to this country and were some of the earliest mafia members in this country. So it's, it's just like, like, wow, I'm talking to this person. You know, so, I mean, you can never discount technology. That's why I hammer home. It's not like, you know, you wouldn't, if you were to hang out with me, like I'm barely using technology, except for like when I'm on my computer, you know, except for when I'm on my phone, except for when I'm using a mixer, except for when I'm, you know, I'm using technology all the time. But I talk about this stuff a lot just to kind of hammer home the point that this stuff is just as capable of performing magic as anything else. If you think a, a stick is magical, if you think a candle is magical, you know, and you don't think technology, if you don't think computers, if you don't think phones are, are magical, I don't know what to tell you. And it's not, they're not just magical because they, on a, on a uh, practical scientific level, allow us to do certain things. Also, strange phenomenon can happen and they can influence your physical life. In the same way that, oh, online dating, like, think about this, like, in 1998, somebody would have said, online dating for losers. And, like, that person wouldn't be able to comprehend the idea that online dating didn't really work out for me in terms of dating, but produced these unique experiences that changed my life forever. You know, I have a dog now. I, I went to South Korea. I never would have gone there. You think I ever would have gone to South Korea? No. <laughs> I never would have gone there. And, you know, I was thinking not that long ago, like, I kind of want to go back. I won't. Not unless some, not unless I had a reason. 
But there's a part of me that's like, I almost want to go back just on my own terms, completely on my own terms and just be like, you know what? I've been here before. There's a level of comfort to that. I know I can make it even in a city where nobody speaks English. I know that I can make it because I didn't even try to learn the language. Like I learned a couple things just to get by, but I gave up because I was just like, I can't remember this. And I wasn't an asshole about it. Like I didn't try to speak English to people who didn't speak English. But it, you know, gave me a lot of humility too, because I I was told when I was there, like if when you're paying for something in a store, you hand them the money with both hands, like you kind of cup your hands or like hold your hands palm out so they can see both your hands. And if you don't do that, if you if you hand it to them with one hand, you put your other hand like you cup your elbow with the other hand, and the idea is that you're you're showing your hands, like you're not hiding anything. You're not doing anything deceptive. So there's this, and, and who knows, somebody might have lied to me and been like, this is what they do so that I look like an idiot. You know, oh, in Korea, they'll never, they'll hate you if you don't pay with both your hands visible. But I found myself, like, I, I remember being in a 7-Eleven, buying sushi from a 7-Eleven, like pre, pre-manufactured sushi at a 7-Eleven, because that's what you get there. They don't have Slurpees, but they have, like, pre-manufactured sushi, at Seven Eleven, and uh, I remember though, like paying as I normally would, like handing her the cash, and then I realized that I wasn't showing my other hand, and I caught myself, and I was like, "Oh, oh!" And I awkwardly, like suddenly, like like shot my other hand underneath my elbow, and there were a bunch of kids, like teenagers, Korean teenagers, watching me, and they just cracked up, like mockingly. They were mocking me. They thought I was so. They thought they thought I was a fool, and the girl behind the counter was laughing like they thought I was an idiot. But it was fun, you know. It's kind of like <laughs> when I was discriminated against, when I was not allowed into a bar because I'm an American. It was fun. I wouldn't say everybody should do that all the time. I wouldn't say our world should operate that way. But you know, getting mocked for not using the custom and then awkwardly like trying to catch up to it and be like, Oh wait, wait, I meant to, I meant to show my, I meant to cut my elbow, uh, you know, this thing that's not natural at all to me and getting mocked for it. You know, it was fun. I think you need to go through that. I think you need to know what it's like. Uh, I don't know. I think that does give you a sense of humility for sure. You lose it. (laughs) You know, if you're me, you lose it. You lose that humility real quick, but it's like an ego death. The second you you recognize that you had an ego death, your ego blows back up again. It's like in, I had an ego death in Korea when I was paying for 7-Eleven sushi. Teenagers laughed at me and it caused my ego to disappear for a split second. And then when I realized that my ego disappeared and I was eating my sushi, my ego blew back up again and I was like, I'm so humble. Oh, this is, this experience is so humbling. Did I ever tell you about how humble I am? No, but it, you know all that. You know all that can come just through an app. All that can come just through like a a, ra- a chance meeting. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get into nurse with wound song titles here, but no, all that can happen. You know, a chance meeting at a Rite Aid after talking to somebody on OkCupid and they delete their account. All that can happen just through the weirdest means, and you just kind of have to have a sense for it. You have to be open. And I wouldn't recommend anybody, you know, dedicate their future to those experiences because you just have to take them when they come. And to be honest, it's been a little while. It's been a little while since I had that sense. I feel like our world, it's kind of cloudy right now. It's kind of heavy, but, you know, I have had, I have had synchronicity lately. I had one the other night where my friend Kyle was talking to me about Gnosticism, and I mentioned I mentioned on this show that I was listening to Terrence McKenna. Even though I can't really deal with the whole psychedelic obsession, I just kind of was like, you know, I just want to listen to something different. And he didn't say anything of interest to me that night, but I paused the video, I paused the lecture, and then the next morning, well, in that, that night, Kyle had been talking to me about Gnosticism and how Gnosticism is so anti-material to the point where it's almost evil and hateful. And uh, the next morning, like I hit play on the Terrence McKenna video and right away he starts talking about Gnosticism and how it's anti-material. And, you know, maybe that's just where, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, 
yeah, there's a certain probability to that because I'm interested in that. I'm interested in people who talk about those things. So maybe it's inevitable. But it was just interesting that he started talking about that right at the place that I paused it after I'd had this conversation. I wouldn't say it's a I wouldn't say it's God winking at me necessarily. Uh, but I, I was working on a new drawing that night, the previous night. And I, I go with these intuitive shapes sometimes. And what I ended up drawing, I thought to myself, this looks like an ampersand. I feel like I just drew an ampersand, kind of a, a weird ampersand. You know, if you're not familiar, an ant, it's the and symbol. An ampersand is the and symbol, if you somehow don't know that. And then, sure enough, what does Terrence McKenna start talking about after Gnosticism? He talks. He starts talking about the ampersand. He starts talking about the, how the ampersand, I don't even know what he was talking about. He was saying it's it's some kind of alien symbol to him. Like, he, he was relating it to UFOs, and to him it just it represents some sort of otherworldly alien image or sensation. You know, he was going off, he was going far into the deep end. But I'm like, man, like, I was drawing an ampersand last night. He hadn't talked about the ampersand at all. I never think about that. I You know, I use ampersands. As a human being who writes, sometimes I, I guess I will use ampersands. But I just intuitively drew this ampersand, and the next morning, you know, McKenna's talking about something that a friend and I were talking about, and then he starts talking about the ampersand, and that was weird. The fact that he would be talking about the ampersand and seeing it in some special way, because, I mean, I'm, I would never think to just be like, I'm going to draw an ampersand. I just drew an intuitive shape and started rendering it, and I thought to myself, oh, hey, this kind of looks like an ampersand. So the fact that that's some special symbol to McKenna, and the very next day he starts going off on that in this lecture. And I swear he hadn't brought it up earlier. He had not, I'd never even, I don't know that I'd ever heard him talk about that. There's no way I could have done that equation in my head. There's no way I could have heard him say that and deliberately drawn an ampersand. But it just tells you, you know, sometimes that stuff lines up. And, you know, I got to admit, it felt good. And I don't feel, you know, there's something sacred about those experiences sometimes, but I'm also not afraid to talk about them. I'm not afraid. I I feel like it, it, it's less, you cherish them less by talking about them. And by cherish, I mean like you're less attached to them. I think being open about them in the right setting, like on this show, like I wouldn't call, you know, a random person in my life and be like, you wouldn't believe what just happened involving ampersands and Gnosticism. But, you know, I'm talking about these things on this episode, and that was a recent experience. And I don't feel like it kills the magic. I don't believe that. I used to believe that, and I think there's a time and a place to discuss things. But I don't feel that it kills the magic to acknowledge it. And I think you have to find those exciting little moments when and where they exist. Whether it's produced by Tinder, whether it's when you're saying a Tinder prayer, whether it's a chance meeting on OkCupid and, and in a Rite Aid, whether it's in South Korea, you know, whether whether it's Crispin Glover's castle, whether it's in your own backyard, like I always say, you know, you can find the adventure of a lifetime in your own backyard, in your own mind. You just have to be open to all these different avenues. And I wouldn't say I understand it. I wouldn't say I've mastered anything in this life. But I, what I do know is being open to these things gives your life a strange sense of meaning that you can't define. But it definitely pushes you along. It gives you something. You know, it definitely makes you feel more connected, and I think that's what we're all looking for. That's what people are looking for when they get on Tinder. They're looking to connect with somebody. They want to feel more connected. And even though in their mind it's with one person for one reason, even if it's just perverse, what they want is a connection. And I think that's why these things do facilitate some form of magic. I think that's why you can have life-changing experiences that aren't necessarily romance, but are nonetheless pivotal. Because anytime you're looking for a connection and you do so openly, you never know what the results are going to be. You never know what the importance is going to be. But if, it, if the end result is that you feel more connected to someone, something, or the entire world, that seems like a a pretty magical experience to me. And anything that facilitates that 
is ultimately good. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 